How's everybody doing? Rob's not here, obviously, or I wouldn't be sitting here. <laughs> um, he asked me a couple of days ago if I'd be willing, and I don't think he told me where he was going, so we can pray in general, but I can't be specific. But uh, Father, I just thank you for the ability to worship, the desire to worship. Lord, being able to give the sacrifice of praise, even when it's hard, when things are difficult, Lord, we know you are worthy ultimately. And just as you keep reminding us, no matter how difficult things can be here, that there's a purpose, a purpose we might not understand, Lord. You've told us that you care more about our spiritual well-being, our eternal destiny than you do about our present comfort, Lord. So no matter what's going on in our lives, we just thank you for being good. We thank you that we have a glorious future, a living hope. You're a good God. And while we are still here on this earth, Lord, you've given us things to do, instructions. Lord, help us to heed to them. Speak to us tonight. Just pray that your word would not return void, Lord. We can pray that because you said it won't. In confidence, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Colossians, we continue the journey. Just out of curiosity, um, how many of you were here the last time I taught on a Sunday morning in Colossians? So I didn't get to say half of what I had. Shock. I had a lot to say. Always over-prepare. It's the old Sunday school in me. You don't want to be at the end of class and not have anything to say, and the kid's sitting there with nothing to do. So you over-study and then hope it condenses when you're up here. And I got halfway through realizing I'm not going to be able to say half of what I had. And again, Colossians 1 is the truth about Christ. Colossians 2, the truth about the cults. And Colossians 3 and 4, it's about how we live that out in our lives. The truth about Christians. And we got to a point speaking of being filled with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like, and also the necessity of it. And uh, I'm not sure. I wanted to spend a lot of the last time I taught on children. Um, I had gotten to the point where it goes wives, husbands, children, um, bond servants, or fathers, bond servants, masters, and uh, overseeing the Sunday school now and being on a team getting ready and preparing for a school. There's been a lot about children on my heart. And, uh, but I ended up spending the whole time talking about marriage, pretty much. So God had different plans, and we talked about that. But first, it says in a, to back up again, because it's important to keep it all in context, uh, Colossians 3.12 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also, you also must do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God 
rule in your hearts, which, you, which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And again, we talked about that peace of God rule in your heart. Sometimes, what is God's will for my life? And we talked about the difference between a contentment in the flesh, getting something you want, and having the peace of the Holy Spirit upon you. And we talked about that word rule. It's the same word as an umpire playing in a sporting event. He'll either call you out or safe. And if you lose your peace, so the whole key to understanding that in your Christian walk is if you're walking in the Spirit, you will have the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? If, if you are walking around with God all the time, and you have to have the peace of God with you in order for you to notice that it left. So your relationship with Christ is first and foremost. If you're just walking with God, aware of his presence all the time, always know that he's there, always know that he's listening, not getting distraught and just enjoying life with him, and he is life, not letting what others would call life get in the way of that relationship, then when, when your peace leaves, you'll notice it. And after that, it also says, which is just as important, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If you're having a peace about something that's unbiblical, then you know it's not the peace of God. God's Holy Spirit will never tell you to contradict the word of God. So both of them are important, a tag team. Know the word of God, let it dwell in you, and walk in the, in, the, in the spirit. Well, in what part of my life? 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, thanks to God the Father through him. And that was kind of what the Lord had pushed home to me, as I mentioned last time. Whatever you do, and God asked me, what are you doing? What are you doing? What, what do you, if you put your hand to? What are you occupying your time with? Whatever you do, in word or deed, can you say that you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus? And if you are, then just give thanks to him. And then we talked wives, husbands, children, fathers, bondservants. And we mentioned that, I can ask again, right? Wives, who is that applicable to? Well, if you're not married... Well, maybe you will be married someday, and we are all called the bride of Christ. So God doesn't just give us things to do here to keep us busy, to take our time over. God didn't give me a wife just so I'll stay alive until he wants me to die, because without her, I'd probably be dead already. We have a purpose. At least I wouldn't find anything, and she knows that's true. We're supposed to be occupying. We're supposed to be representing something, and we talked about that. We're on a mission, and everyone's been called on a mission, Everyone's been given gifts for that mission. God didn't put you here and then have to try to figure out what to do with you. It tells us in Psalms that he wrote down everything that he had planned for your life while you weren't even a thought yet, before there was any substance in your mother's womb, before anything was there. He already knew he was going to create you and why. And it's our mission is to find out what his mission is for us. And then we need to be underneath that mission. We shouldn't be over it. We shouldn't be telling him what it is, and we need to seek that, and that takes prayer, right? We can't possibly know that. You can't just figure it out. You can say, well, I think I have these gifts, so therefore it must be something to do with this, but he needs to direct and guide and equip and everything. 
So it goes on in verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And we talked about that at length. I don't need to go over that again. But again, it's a picture of the church. So one part of our mission we know for sure um, the Lord had put on my heart, Luke 11, 9 to 13, because he'd already told us that in order to do this, this is what an evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is. In order to live a life as a, as a Christian wife or as the bride of Christ as a Christian, which we're called, um, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 11, it says in verse 9, say, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And then just bluntly, he comes out and says, If you then, being evil, this is Jesus talking to men, you know, you're all evil and stuff. He doesn't have a problem with saying the truth, and he just kind of throws it there. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if we knock and ask and seek, and we want to know what our mission is, he says, if you want to know, ask, he'll give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will direct your life. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads you and guides you into all truth. He's the one that will show you what you're doing that's wrong, so therefore we then can do the right thing. Because if, if you've been given a mission, not only, the, right, there's two sins. One is omission, I'm not doing it, and the other one is commission. If you're not doing that, then what are you doing? You're doing something else that God hasn't planned for you. If you're not in God's plan then, and you're on your own plan, they're both sin, which is why he says whatever you do. So, Wives, submit. And again, the marriage is a picture of the church. So what are we supposed to do? We need the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it goes all the way back to Genesis, right? It says in 3.16, after the sin, after the serpent, after all these things happened, and some people would say, you know, she, she, she took of the fruit of the apple of the knowledge, or the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Where was Adam? But just as good a question should be is, why did she leave? They weren't together, they weren't in use, and something happened. There was this falling away, and they got busted, and they hid. And then God shows up and does something, calls to them, where are you, basically? What are you doing? Just like he called to me, just like he's calling to all of us. What are you doing? I'm hiding from you. Oh, he can hear me. <laughs> It's kind of like asking a, a two-year-old playing hide-and-seek, where are you? And they said, I'm in the closet. You know, <laughs> they don't play hide-and-seek very well. You're pretty busted when God calls to you, and you know he knows where you are. Just be real with him. He knows everything. Um, but he said to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. And then he says, you, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And that word rule is govern which is exactly what he's telling us here, that they're to submit to their husbands. And that word rule, like we mentioned last time, in the Greek I was told that it actually is a military term, and it means to be under rule. Um, 
by choice. It, it, it's not a constraint thing. It, it's a request, but you're called to do that. And uh, again, I, I quote David Guzik a lot. I like him a lot. Um, he, he wrote, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The idea is to contrast the woman's desire and the husband's rule over her. This speaks of an inherent challenge in embracing the husband's role as leader of the home and family. In the same word that was used for desire in Genesis 3 is also in 4-7 when he was uh, speaking to Cain. And he said, of the desire of sin to master over him. And he said, because of the curse, Eve would have to fight a desire to master her husband, a desire that works against God's ordained order for the home. And none of us, I told you that before, right? Who likes to submit? Nobody. You know, I'm going to take care of me. I, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm going to do it my way, as the song says, right? And we don't need a song to tell us that. That's just kind of what we want to do. No one wants to be told what to do. And it's inherent in us. And it's, uh, it says, The principle of Adam's headship as husband was established before the fall. Now the curse on Eve makes it harder for her to submit and flow with God's institution of male headship in the home. So there's this battle, there's this fight, and again, the question is, is what, why did you want to be married to begin with? And why you wanted to be married shouldn't even be the first question. The question should be, is why does God want me to be married? Why did God ordain marriage? What's the point of people being married? And we talked about that, again, quite a bit last time. You can listen to that if you want to catch up but it's a picture of Christ and the church. And as Eve had this on her now because she ate of the apple, and she's going to have struggling ruling over having a, allowing Adam to rule over her, we know that sin did the same thing for us. We now struggle with this battle of allowing Jesus to rule over us. Right? Isn't that kind of a sad state? of the church in general, but if, mostly if people that Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they thought Jesus was going to come in and give them the kingdom at that time. They didn't want to be under Rome. So they took out the palm branches on Palm Sunday, and they're all thankful that they finally get what they want. And then all of a sudden, this king, the Messiah, the one that was prophesied of, the one that they only envisioned coming in and taking over and giving them what they wanted, those same people are looking at him being condemned to death. And now he's got to go to the cross. And they're sitting there, and then they started to say what? Crucify him, crucify him. We will not have this man rule over us. The effect of sin. And sometimes we can be the I can be that way. When I'm getting what I want, I'm praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, things aren't going the way I expected. And this whole sin nature thing that's spoken of, of the bride, the bride of Christ, and I, and I get upset, and I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like what he's doing. We talked about that Tuesday at the senior study, right? We, we're thankful. Who, does God care about you? Is he smart? Can he do what he wants? So if he's doing something and he tells me that he's good, if something difficult happens to me, I know enough not to question it, but I can if we have doubts we can be honest with him that was one of the good things about the movie Fiddler on the Roof he just would sit there and complain all the time he's just real with him just talk you know he'll get you through it Jacob fought with God it's okay you're not going to win it doesn't matter <laughs> just talk to him don't don't turn your back on him don't walk away from him and uh, ultimately we know we're only here for a short period of time our existence 
on a timeline from the time you're born through all of eternity is really long. And the time of your existence here on the earth on that timeline is like nothing. You're going to be around forever. And forever depends somewhat on what happens here. And God cares more about your eternal well-being than he does your present comfort. And just because you can't understand it doesn't mean it's not good. He says he's taking care of it. Do you trust him? And sometimes he, he, he challenges us. He gives us an opportunity to act by faith. Lord, are you, the, are you really as good as you said that you are? I don't understand this. Pastor Jeff used to tell us that all the time, right? Don't throw away what you don't know. Don't throw away what you do know because of what you don't know. I don't know how he's doing something here, but I know he's good. I don't know where he is, but he tells me he's never going to leave. Don't throw away what you know because of things that you don't know. Just ask him. Come to him. Husbands, could spend a long time here too, but I'm hoping to actually get to the end of the book. We'll see how that works. Husbands love agape because God loves. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? 19, husbands love your wives and two things, do not be bitter toward them. We know in other parts of the Bible, and again, I said this is not an exhaustive study. You could, I could teach every time up here for many, many, many weeks just on marriage and husbands and wives and kids. and There's a lot to say. God has a lot to say about it. So we're just touching on it right now for time's sake, but it's that simple. Love your wives and don't be bitter. Everybody hear that? We're good. I can go on. So, well, wait a minute. What do you mean, love my wives? What does that look like? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but everything that Jesus does for you, just try to do that for your wife, because he loves you. So act like him. But he died for me. Yes, you can't die for your wife's sins, but you can die to self and serve her. You can seek her spiritual well-being. You can minister to her and care for her. How, so what's the option? Well, my wife, well, before you even complain about your wife, if you ever come to me anyways, at least, and you're having a, a marriage problem, then I, I feel for you and I'll, I'll want to talk with you. But if you start talking about the spouse, I'm not going to put up with it because I'm here talking to you. Your problem is not her. Your problem is you. I'll talk to them if they come to me, but right now I'm talking to you. So if you have a problem with your wife, you're the problem because he says, forgive them, love them, don't be bitter towards them. What did Jesus do when we were fighting against him? He died for us. He came to us. He loved us. It says by his goodness that he'll lead us into repentance. If a marriage fails, it's because one or both of you weren't walking with God correctly every time. God's never going to leave us or forsake us, even to the ends of the earth. We just don't want to put up with it. He puts up with us. Husbands, love your wives. And if you think that they're not doing their part, you can become bitter. He's, he just says, get over it. Don't do it. Don't worry about them. If you, if you get bitter towards your wife, it's because you've put an expectancy on them that, that wasn't valid or right. If you're walking with the Lord and they're failing, then you'll be brokenhearted and want to talk to them. You ever come across an unbeliever? Why is it sometimes we have more patience and courtesy 
and love for a stranger than we do the people that are close to us. It makes no sense at all, but because all of a sudden they feel betrayed. Well, I expected more out of them. Well, there's the problem. What do you expect out of your spouse? I remember my sister years ago, who's Pentecostal and does most of the teaching at their church, and she said, I used to think marriage was 50-50. She was, now I think it's 90-10. And I'm thinking, well, well, biblically, I think it's supposed to be 100-0. Your relationship with God has nothing to do with anybody else. You just walk with God and do what you're supposed to. And the amazing thing is, is that if you do that, it'll probably be fine. And if it's not, then you'll be there to help them. It gets personal. Our flesh screams. The flesh dies hard. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This isn't a natural thing. This isn't a counseling session. This is a a death notice, right? Die to self. Live to God. Love your wives. Don't be bitter. Children, obey your parents in all things. And it does say all things. All in the Greek means all Right, and we talked about that when it came to wives too. Right, so what are? I'm not going to talk too much on the kids tonight because they're not here to defend themselves. But <laughs> although we are all children of God, so does God want you to obey all of the commandments? Does God want you to listen to everything that He says? Children, obey God, your dad, in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. And again, that comes right down to the motive comes down to the motive of your marriage it comes down to the motive of your child why are you doing it well because god told me to right some people just want to be married because they make me happy and they might make them happy and i don't know i don't think i mentioned it last time i've told many 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 people that because the lord told me unsaved people that i come across they're like well i just don't love my wife anymore we're going to get divorced to which okay agape love what does that mean self-sacrificial, doesn't depend upon them. So if you're saying you don't have a love for your wife anymore, you're saying God's not giving it to you, so that's got nothing to do with her. You're just telling me you're not walking with God because there's nothing that they can do to stop God from giving you love. You just chose not to. And God is obviously, you had an issue in your heart, and God might use your spouse to tell you, hey, this has been there. It's been annoying me. I'm going to let it bother you so that you can know that it's there. And now maybe you'll let me deal with it, right? God brings people, especially when you're driving, right? So all of a sudden somebody will do something and you're like, like, why did I get so mad? He goes, yeah, your heart's been right there on this edge this whole time. It's been annoying me. I'm going to, I let that person do it because I want you to deal with it. Sometimes things get exposed that way. And most of the time I find, especially unsaved, they don't, they haven't been given a love from God. So if you're married and you're happy, usually it's because that person makes me happy. So it's, a, it's a, an equal thing. They make me happy, I make you happy. So what they're basically saying is, well, they don't make me happy anymore. I used to love them, but now I don't. Okay, so you loved yourself, and they benefited you, and now they're not benefiting you anymore. So you still love yourself. You, you need to get right with God. It's all, it's all about me. There's nothing that anyone should be able to do that causes you not to love them because love isn't something that they get because they deserve it. Love is something that they get. It's agape that God gives you because he loves everybody. So children, your, your motive should be out of a love for God. And if they don't, aren't saved, that means they can't have that, right? So what do we do? We preach to our kids. One of the things that we talked about last time, why does God hate divorce? 
because he wants to raise a godly seed. He wants kids to see what this relationship between him and his church is like in the home, and hopefully they'll have a desire for it and want it. So how important is it how you talk to your wife, how you talk to your husband when you're in the home, especially when there's kids around? They see everything. One of my favorite pastors, Gail Irwin, used to talk about that. He was, he'd make you laugh and cry at the same time because he cut deep. But he's like, I don't know how many times I told my children to eat right, but all they do is eat like me. Because they act just like you, because they catch things. More is caught than taught. They're watching. They're learning. How do we treat our wives? How do we honor our husbands? Children obey. And again, that's the only, the only command directly to children. There's a lot of commands about, to parents about raising children, but all that ever says is obey or honor. I think it's four times throughout, or more throughout the Bible. It's simple because we're simple. All you have to do is listen to God. You're a child of God. I want to walk with him. Okay, just do what he says. It's that simple. He's really smart. He loves you. He's going to care for you. Just obey him. He desires obedience. And we would want to obey him if we knew what he was saying was beneficial to us and that it pleased him. It's not because he's mean and he wants to rule over us because he wants to exhort power. He loves you. Like when God says, don't be jealous, but then he says he's jealous. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. He knows the things that you go after are going to harm you. He only cares for us. If he's telling us to do something, it's because it's a good thing to do and it's good for us. We should listen to him. Fathers. So again, if you don't have children, you have a father, at least had one, or else you wouldn't be here. And we know that ultimately we have a father in heaven, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So dads not only have this husband thing about loving their wives in front of their children and the children not to listen to them, but then they are also, first thing it says, which I find peculiar, he doesn't tell them what to do. The first thing in this part, portion of scripture is he tells them what not to do. And it says in a peak, a Bible scholar wrote, irritate by exacting commands and perpetual fault finding and interference for interference sake. What does it mean to provoke your children? Do not irritate them by exacting commands and perpetual fault finding. Another commentator, Bruce, parents and especially fathers are urged not to irritate their children by being so unreasonable in their demands that their children lose heart and come to think that it's useless trying to please their parents. And another guy writes that the word fathers can refer to both parents, both sexes, though it may well have an eye to the importance of the father's role within God's created order in the upbringing of children. We're supposed to know where our kids are at. We're supposed to love them, love our wives in front of them, have a godly home for them to experience all of this in it, knowing that God is gracious. He can do anything. He can meet people in defiled systems. And uh, 
but this is the ideal. This is the thing that we're supposed to shoot for because we're in a loving family, right? This is the best messed up family going right now. We're, there's humans in it, right? We're all fallible. But when we mess up, we know grace doesn't allow us to quit, right? Some people say cheap grace. Well, grace is hard. If you're ever doing something and you're failing, especially in a marriage, especially when, it's, when it gets personal, it's easy to get bitter, and then it's hard to, to come back from that. But grace says, you know what, you can start over at any moment. It, it has nothing to do with you. I can do something right now. Start over. And when you fail the next time, it's there again. He's there again. He's there again. He's there again. Don't quit. Just come back. Come back. Come back. We're going to mess up. Just don't quit. He doesn't say try harder, which is what our flesh wants to do, which is what the world will tell you to do. Come on, man, suck it up. Try harder. Go for it. Rub dirt in it, whatever that means. You know, just get a wound and just keep going. Where God's like, no, just stop. Let me do it through you. Stop trying. You doing it is the problem. You're going to give up. You're going to get tired. You're not going to be able to do it anymore. You're going to fail, and then you'll cry out to me, and I'll be there because I'm gracious, and I want you to be like me. Be like that with your kids. Be like that with your wife. Your wife should never doubt if you love her or not, ever. When do you ever doubt God's love for you? We should be living in a way that even though I might be uncomfortable or unhappy, that she's not sitting there wondering, I wonder if, he's gonna, if this is it. I wonder if he's going to leave me. How bad is this going to get? They should never have a doubt that, that, that you love them. There shouldn't be a question that ever comes. And sometimes we can get caught, right? A happy wife, a happy life. Sometimes, well, let's just make them happy. That'll make everything better. Well, a happy wife usually does make a happy life. But if your wife is trying to rule over her, over you, and it's out of order, and now the mission's going astray, the best thing that you can do for her is to love her, and it's not to just give her what she wants, right? We're to get in order again. How did Jesus treat you when you went off the mission and messed up? He didn't just say, okay, go ahead. No, he loved you into doing it correctly. And sometimes we're lazy men. I speak as a husband and as a dad, as a guy. And if my wife is willing to take over, sometimes I'll be like, fine, you do it, because I don't want to do it anyways. I, I'm struggling with a sin issue too. So wives, you need to let your husbands rule, because that's what they're supposed to do. That's God's order. We need to, we, it's a, it's a, we're both on the same mission. We need to work together. Again, it's a military term. I don't think the Navy SEALs sit there and say, I know the plan said to go this way to open the door, and then we'll be all set, but I'm going this way. You got no air coverage, you got nothing, you're, you don't have your buddies back. Where'd all the sixes go? Oh, yeah, I got your six. That's a, I'm not a military guy, but who's got your back? Your wife should always have your back. You should always have your wife's back. You're a team. You're on a mission together. Fight together. Pray. You need to pray together. Don't just make them happy. Seek God's will and pray. Lead as ordained and love in the Spirit. It says in Proverbs 27, 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Husbands, you should be knowing where your wife and where your kids are at spiritually. Where are they at? What's bugging them? If you walk in the room and something's wrong, you should be able to tell. Pay attention. Listen, Genesis 18, 13, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord at the appointed time? I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. God is outside the tent telling Abraham, you're going to have a kid in your old age. I know your body's dead. I know your wife is old. I know it can't happen anymore, but I'm going to do it. And Sarah's inside the tent, and she laughs. I can't write. That's what I would be thinking. Or I, it's probably not. I might believe God. I'm like, no, I am not ready for that. Don't do that. I do not want another child. I'm, I'm an old guy. I ain't bending over with the fingers trying to get him to walk. I'm not going to be able to stand up straight for the rest of my life. Please, no. But I thought that was odd. God looked at Abraham and said, why did your wife laugh? He held him accountable. What have you been telling her? How have you been living with her? What has she been listening to you say? Why doesn't she believe me? How have you been living your life in front of her? Minister to your wife. And then in Genesis 16, Abraham was told by his wife to go into his handmaid, and he listened to her. He listened to her words, but not her heart. In Genesis 21:12, after they had a son from that handmaid, she's like, I want him gone. And she, he, must, he might have thought, you know what, last time I listened to you, we got into all this trouble, I'm not going to listen to you now. And then God tells him, no, listen to your wife. Sometimes your wife is telling you something, her heart is telling you, and God says, you should have paid attention. You shouldn't have just done what she said. I've called you to lead. Believe me and walk by faith. And then there's times when he's like, no, you need to listen to her. So if, if the church, if the, if the bride is called to be under the head of the man, and the man is under Christ, what do you think is harder? Like, right? What's harder to say, take up this bed and walk, be healed, or that your sins are forgiven, right? Well, anyone can say their sins are forgiven, but if I say take up this bed and walk and you don't do it, then you know I'm wrong, right? So what do you think is harder, to listen to your husband, to hear what he has to say, or to get before the throne of God and find out what God says and then know his will for your family's life? Some people might complain, saying, why do I have to listen to him? Okay, you want the responsibility of having to listen to God and be responsible for your whole family? And wives, you should be putting your husband there and asking him, what does the Lord tell you? Help him. You're on a mission together. If he's not hearing, then you're both in trouble. Don't just all of a sudden start listening for him and telling him what he's supposed to do. Encourage him. And if you don't give him an out either. I tell that when people get into arguments too. If all of a sudden my spouse comes to me and starts in the flesh complaining and getting mad, I have a couple choices to make, right? I can die to self or I can love her like Jesus did. If I sit there and get mad at her for being mad, now she's mad at me because I'm the way I acted to her. Now she has a reason to be mad. Before she didn't have a reason to be mad. I just gave her one. Now all of a sudden there's this big fight. I can get bitter and next thing you know, we're fighting. We don't remember why. And now we're just mad because we each have an attitude. If they come to you and there's a problem, act like Christ. Now she has nothing to do but go before God and admit that that she did something wrong, or he has no other reason. If a wife submits to her husband's plan and the plan fails, he can't say, well, you didn't try, you didn't come along, you weren't working with me. Now he's got to go before the throne of God and say, Lord, what happened? I thought this is what you said. Now I have to make sure that I'm hearing from him and that everything's right. Make him do it. Don't give him an out. Don't sit there and say, I'm not going to follow you. Make him go before the throne of God and say, Lord, what mission are we supposed to be on? What plan do you have for this family? What are you trying to do with us? It's humbling. Sometimes God clearly speaks to you, and other time he wants you to spend time with him, and he doesn't tell you right away. And now we sit there and have this faith going on 
and we like it when he talks to us, but God likes it when we have the attention. Right? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If God's doing everything by a miracle, there's no faith at all. And we must think he's awful happy with us. But he's only happy with us when we have to walk by faith. That's when we think where he's mad at us because I don't know for sure. We have it all backwards. I have it all backwards. Maybe you guys are way better than I am. But sometimes it seems like when everything's falling into place, I'm thinking everything's hunky-dory and God and I are good. And he's just like, well, I'm allowing you a time to heal and to grow, but I'm going to call you to walk by faith eventually, and I want you to seek me. Be diligent to know the state of your flock. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And why don't we turn to Ephesians? It talks about the same thing, but a little bit more intent. Again, we talked about that, the prison epistles, Paul writing, very similar. Ephesians 5, 15. Going to talk about the family, going to talk about relationships, but before that, he talks about being filled with the Spirit because it's necessary. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And we're going to read about that in a second back in Colossians 2, redeeming the time. What does it mean to redeem the time? But to be redeemed means to buy back. How often do I pray? Well, I just don't have enough time. Well, everyone has the same amount of time. The question is, what do you do with the time? Redeem it. Make the time. I was listening to John Corson, and he was saying, I think it's nine months of the year. I'm sorry. In your lifetime, you'll have spent nine months stopped at stoplights. Just pray for the church. If you just pray for the church every time you're at a stoplight, you'll have prayed for the church for nine months. Redeem the time. Take advantage of it. Have something. Of course, that's not. He also said, some of you are going to ask, well, what if the light changes? And he says, don't worry, they'll let you know. <laughs> People have a way of honking. Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. So if we don't do what we're supposed to do with the time, Time will pass and things will happen that are evil. Do not be conformed to this world, but be being transformed. The world will conform you. If you don't do anything, you will be, and again, conform means to be pressed from the outside. Why do we do what we do? Well, I need a job. Well, I need to have this. Well, I need to, well, forces will put you where things be rather than allowing God from the inside out speak to you, tell you your mission, and send you out and do something and changing you from the inside. 17, therefore, because of all that, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is your mission? And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dispensation, but be being filled, to present tense noun, with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So, so that's, we're supposed to submit to everybody, to one another, in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The two shall become one. It should be that intimate. Our relationship with Christ should be that intimate. 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring up your children. Don't provoke them, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Right, and it tells us in Colossians. Do not provoke them. Do everything that's well-pleasing to them. So what, is it, what does that mean? How do we do that? This whole child-raising thing. The, God, the, the Bible has a lot to say about training children. So we're to train them. And uh, I could spend the rest of the time right here. I think I'm scheduled actually to teach on Sunday evening. And I think I'm going to probably just spend the whole time coming back. I'm hopefully going to finish this chapter I will finish the chapter, even if I just have to read it. But, but training children. Obviously, I'm overseeing the Sunday school ministry now, and I'm also on a board to help come up with Bolka. Why do we train kids? What do we train kids? How do you train kids? What does training even mean? Nurture. I used to think of nourishment, putting something into them, right? In the training and nurture the word nurture for strongs, concordance in the Greek, it says the whole training and education of children, which relates to cultivation of mind and morals and employs for this purpose, now commands and admonishes, now reproof and punishment. It also includes the training and care of the body, whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. Instruction, which aims at increasing virtue, chastisement, chastening of the evils with which God visits men for their amendment. 
So training, when you think of training, do you think of punishment normally, chastisement? If you turn to Hebrews 12, with me. Hebrews 12, it has the word chastisement in verse 5, 7, 8, and 11. And it's the word chastening. And it's the exact same word that's in Colossians and Ephesians. This training. It says in uh, Hebrews 12, 4, you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not suffice despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons." Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few years chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. So whatever this chastening is does cause pain. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the, the hands which hang down in feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. This training is how children are to come forward and to grow and to learn. And you probably have heard many of these scriptures Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Well, that's the Old Testament. No, that's the New Testament. That's God's heart for us. I'm, I know you get chastened if you're a child of God, otherwise the word of God's not true. You imagine just telling your kids everything's good, never correcting them, trying to help their self-esteem, trying to make them feel better about themselves. Everyone gets a trophy. Nothing's going to be wrong. And next thing you know, they get saved, and they walk, and God punishes them. They're going to think, what's that? It must not be God. It's got to be the enemy. How many people walk around thinking Satan's attacking me right now? No, God might be correcting you. <laughs> it shouldn't be an abnormal or weird thought. And I talked about Proverbs 22.6 last time. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that word train up a child literally means train up a child in his way. Find out what your kids are called to. Get to know them. Spend time with them. Minister to them. Use them for where they're at. I had failed multiple times in this. Right? My one son wanted to be a musician. Thought he wanted to play the drums. Bought him a drum set at a young age. Great, let's get him on the worship team. And he didn't play much, and then he didn't play at all, and then he sold it for way less than what I paid for it. <laughs> and then my next son's like, I want to play the guitar. And I'm like, nope, I learned that lesson. Well, he's currently 
running the sound and honor worship team, and I should have bought him a guitar and not his brother the drums because I didn't know my kids well enough. Just because they're different and you need to understand who they are and not try to make them something that you want them to be or to be like you or to even be like each other. You got, and it takes time, you got to spend time with them and you got to pray, you got to find out what the mission is. You got to say, Lord, what are you doing with them? Because ultimately God doesn't say that I have kids. God says I have custody of his kids. He created them, he owns them, and I'm a steward. I don't get to do with them what I want. He gave, the, he gave me a, a, a huge responsibility and he tells me how I'm supposed to do it. And then as his bride, he tells me to submit. And as he, his child, he just tells me to obey. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Well, why would you have to discipline them? Because folly is bound up in their heart. It's in the flesh. It's in all of us. If you're not sure, just live without Christ for a while and you'll remember but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will, he will give delight to your heart. And again, how do you discipline him? I remember, I think it was Rob, but other people just up here recently talked about that. My one son, I was, I'm going to have to spank you. And he would just be like, okay, let's get it over with. And my other son, I would look at him, stern, he'd start crossing. I didn't have to hardly ever spank him. They're, they're different. I don't have to do the same thing with each of them. I need to learn them and, and do what God would have me to do with them. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. I don't know if you've turned from there, but back in Ephesians 6, to keep going, verse 5. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your master, that your own master, also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Well, how do we do that? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Prayer. Pray. We need to pray. And he goes on from children back in Colossians 3. Bond servants, obey in all things your master according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. I don't know, this whole slave thing, I don't like that. Well, Jesus is Lord, guess what? That means you are saying, I am choosing to be a bond slave. A bond slave isn't somebody that was bought, right? It's somebody at that time that if you had a master 
and under their rule it was different, and there's a certain time when you had to go free, but if your slave owner was good to you and you would come to him in Israel at the time according to God's law, and you say, you know what, you've been good to me, I don't want to leave, I love you, you've been taking good care of me, you've been a master like you were supposed to, I'm fed, I have stuff to do, I love people here, I want to stay with you. And they would take them to the doorpost and, right, and take an awl and pound a hole into his ear and they would put a ring on it and then you'd become a bond slave. It means you were a slave by choice. I choose to be here. I choose to stay with you. And that's what we're claiming when we call Jesus Lord. You have a, we serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong, verse 25, will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. And we know that God grace covers our sin, but it does not mean that our sin here on the earth goes without consequences. Right? The Bible says that your sin will find you out. It doesn't say God will find you out in your sin. It says your sin will find you out. When we do stupid stuff, it catches up to us sometimes. Do not tempt the Lord thy God. Right? Masters, chapter 4, verse 1. Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You don't have the right to act as God because God is watching you. You might might be a master, but you have a master, and he's told you how to do this, right? And this whole bond slave, bond servants, verse 22, you can apply that to employees, and this masters you can apply to employers. If you have employers, you're a a bond servant. How do I act there? Well, don't act. I remember I wrote that on a, a review one time. I, I serve here at this company, but I'm a servant. I'm employed here, but I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, and he told me that I'm supposed to be good to you if and if I'm treated bad. So, it, I mean, my boss told me one time after reading, he goes, I'm tired of all these people reading this and laughing. I don't really care if they laugh or not. It's the truth. You know, they, 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 they want me here. They're having me progress, they like the fruits of it. They might not want to hear it, but they like the result of it in me. Give your bond servants what is just and fair. If you're an employer, what it doesn't say is just be nice and kind to them. Well, I'll be a nice boss. No, you should be a just boss and a fair boss. Pay them what they're supposed to get paid. Treat them the way they're supposed to be treated. Nice and kind is good. You should be kind to everybody. If you're a boss, be just and fair. Again, how do you do that? Verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Don't be complaining all the time. Be thankful. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Paul was arrested because he was doing something God told him to do, and he calls himself a prisoner of Jesus because he understands that he's there for a reason, and he's redeeming the time. He could have been sitting there complaining that he got arrested, but no, he's, he's, he's creating a church. People in jail are getting saved. God put me here for a reason. Why? I'm going to redeem the time. He's writing letters to minister to the church. And he's asking that people would pray for him. We should be praying for people that God puts on our heart, that they would be effective in their ministry. Verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. How's this for a verse on your fridge? Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. 
Sometimes we just, I have my church life, I have my devotions in the morning. I remember this one book that I read that was extremely convicting, but he said his daughter was outside and they had to come inside and she was just a little young girl and she was playing with her friend and it was time for them to get together and read the Bible and pray and they called her name and she said to her friend, I have to go inside, it's time for our family demotion. And that's what it should be, getting off the throne, getting demoted, putting God in his right place. When you're outside, it's not just, well, I'm a Christian and I have to be with my family and I'm going to serve at the church, but I got to go to work because I need money. No, redeem the time. God put you at that job for a reason. God didn't put you at a job for a reason. God didn't put you at that grocery store at that time, at that moment, for, for no reason. Why? What are you doing? Again, he will ask you, be filled with the Spirit, and not just when it's convenient for you, that you want something and you're going to go to him and ask for it. It's always convenient for him. He wants you to be being filled, a present tense verb. Your walking, your life, how you live your life, towards those outside, when you're in the world, redeem the time. You're, you're a Christian 24-7. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Tychicus, a beloved brother, how would you like Paul to be thinking, how would you like God to be thinking of you this way? A beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So Paul's sending them back. There were people there from Colossae that were visiting Paul, and there were some there that were from other places, and he's going to send them with letters, and he's going to name the letters here in a second, and he's just saying his farewell greeting here. Verse 9, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, so he's from class, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. And it's interesting, I find, that not only were they carrying this letter from Classy, but they were also carrying the letter to Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. He had a, a church in his house, and he had a slave named Onesimus that ran away from him and was unfruitful and he took off and he ended up meeting Paul and he ended up getting saved. I highly recommend reading that. It's a short book. It's one chapter. And he has Onesimus carrying this letter that talks about being a bond slave and a master, how that's to be done correctly. And he's got to give this to his master who's going to be mad at him because he took off. And Paul's like, says, this guy is now useful and faithful, and he got saved. And if he owes anything, you put it on my tab. I got it. I'll pay for it. And he goes, I wanted to keep him, and I could have, but I want you to do it willingly. I am not going to impose something on you. I'm not going to tell you how you should do or how you should serve or what you need to give. But you can tell by the content of the letter that he expected that Philemon was going to send him back. Don't be doing, he he says, you know, I didn't want to push it upon you. Ten, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. 
So I don't believe there's anywhere else in the Bible, if it wasn't for this book of Colossae, we never would have known that Mark was Barnabas' cousin. About whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, could you imagine your name being Jesus in the church at that time? Uh, I'm changing my name. <laughs> I feel a little uncomfortable. Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, the only Jews there that were walking well. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. We've been talking about prayer in Matthew for the last two weeks, that word laboring fervently. I think of fervent, I think of bubbling over. Laboring is like hard work. That Greek word is actually agonimozo, which means to contend with adversaries. Sometimes going to prayer is, is war. We read that in Ephesians, right? This guy was laboring fervently for them in prayer. And what was he praying for? That you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, that they would know God's mission for them. 13, for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Herapolis, and I mentioned that those were towns not very far from Colossae, and they would eat, read, read each other's letters. 14, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And again, we would not have known Luke was a physician except for this, this is the only spot in Colossians where it tells us that. 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So evidently, Paul wrote some letters that just ended up not in the canon. 17, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry We've all been given a mission. Encourage Archippus to do it. Go on your mission. 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. If you're called to children's ministry, let me know. I'm not a prophet. They had prophets there that ordained them into ministry. Evidently, Archippus had a ministry which he received in the Lord. We believe any ministry that you have is received in the Lord. Um, but quite frankly, I'm not going to come to anyone and ask them. I will, God has told me that he'll, he'll, you, have to have, you have to be called and you have to be equipped, and it's up to us to figure that out. But you have to be willing also. And I remember the first time I oversaw the children's ministry, there were people here. There was a huge need. The church was much larger back then. We had two services. I think there were 70 people just serving in the children's ministry at the time that I had to schedule. And there was a class that we wanted, I think, to 10 to 12-year-olds. I think there was over 20 kids in there. We wanted just a 10-year-old class. And I was, I, we didn't have enough teachers. And I've been praying and praying. And God had told me that he was going to bring them to me. Don't ask anybody because they might not be ready. And there was a couple that I thought would be perfect for it. 
And I was convinced they had the gift of teaching. And I had multiple people, including pastors, come to me. Have you ever thought about them? Ask them, ask them. And the Lord already told me not to. And I did anyways, because I was stupid. Because, well, I needed a teacher, and a pastor said it. So I just said, hey, do you want, do you want to pray about being involved in the Sunday school? And they're like, yeah, we'll pray about it. And then they said, yeah. And then they came. And then for like three weeks in a row, all of a sudden, no 10-year-olds came. And it was weird. And next thing you know, they didn't only stop teaching. They left the church. I don't even know what. And God had told me, and I'm just so convicted because I, I did something that he had told me not to do. But if you know that somebody's called to something, and we all know everyone's called to something, if they don't know what it is, we can say with Paul, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. Find out what your mission is. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So I didn't go too long. I got through the book. And I think school, so we're, we're praying about a school. We're, we're, we're called to teach children. Children need to be trained. And that whole thought process, especially on this thing for Bolka, God's changed my study this week and the study before, so he might change it again before Sunday. But I, it's in my heart right now to talk about how, what does God say in his word about teaching children? Who is to teach our children? Even the history of public schools, where did that all come from? Is there a law that says that you have to send your kids to school? Do you know? Do you know what the first law was that said you had to send your kids to school? It's rather interesting. And believe it or not, it came out of Massachusetts, of all things. How's that for a tempt? The tempter, which is included in the name of the law. But you'll have to come back Sunday if you want to find out. Or look it up in Google. <laughs> Father, I just thank you that you care about us, that you tell us about what a good father you are. You tell us how you treat your wife, how you treat your children, how good you are to us. We just pray that as we, we don't just think on these things, that we redeem the time that we hear your spirit speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you for all the times I get convicted about wanting to punish my kids out of anger and you just catch me before I do it. And the fear that you give me, Lord, that's not your heart, Lord, and how you can change lives, that you change my life, or are changing my life. And uh, I just pray that these wouldn't be words that we read or a goal far ahead that we need to shoot at, hoping we get close, Lord. You can make these things happen in our lives. So I just pray for all the marriages in our body, Lord, that they would be healthy, that they would represent you. Lord, we know that divorce isn't mean that a marriage failed. It meant that a marriage had already failed and it came to that point, Lord. Help us before we get to that point that we would actually be representing what you want it to be. Put us on, on this mission and help us to be as gracious with each other that you are with us. We just ask for help. In Jesus' name, amen.